Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression of diso- or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful that Jesus truly saves. Lord, there's nothing that we can do to earn that salvation. God, there's nothing that we can't be good enough. We can't uh, do enough good deeds. Father, we can't even think enough good thoughts that we can be saved. It is only through the matchless, most perfect name of the Lord Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven. Lord, I pray that as we go through this lesson, this message today, this sermon, Father, I pray that we would look at our lives, we would take inventory, and that, Father, we would allow your Holy Spirit to bring conviction where conviction is needed. And, Father, if there's somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Lord, my heart's desire, and I know your desire too, Father, is that they come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ this very day, Lord, before it's too late. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless this uh, preaching. I pray pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we might be able to receive your truth. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts today. And Lord, I pray it and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On Sunday, February the 18th, 2001, NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt Sr. was on the last lap. He was in third place. He was trying to win the race. On that day, uh, another car bumped him from behind and rammed him into the wall at about 180 miles an hour. He died that day. The autopsy report revealed that he had died from blunt force trauma to his head. If Earnhardt would have been wearing his Hans unit, his head and neck and safety device, he might have survived the crash. Sadly, Earnhardt lost his life probably because he, like many other drivers that day, neglected to use the hands device. In other words, his neglect of a safety feature probably cost him his life. Every person on this planet is on a collision course with death and eternity. Unfortunately, many people, just like Earnhardt, neglect to make adequate preparation for the day that's coming. In fact, my experience has been a lot of people won't even talk about it. 
A lot of people won't even make uh, any kind of plans for their funeral or their funeral service because they just don't want to think about what's coming ahead. The author of Hebrews in this particular passage points out to us the dangers of neglect. He says here in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I want to focus on that third verse this morning, and I want us to, to, I see two questions in this particular passage of Scripture that I want to answer this morning. Notice, first of all, escape what? How shall we escape? Escape what? What is it we are going to escape? Well, the answer is the judgment. One of the definitions for the word escape is this. If you go to the the, uh, Webster's Dictionary, you can look this up. It says to avoid a threatening evil. A threatening evil in this particular passage points us towards the judgment that is coming in the future. Now the Bible talks about three different kinds of judgment. I'm just going to touch on them quickly. But you need to understand. First of all, the Bible speaks about earthly judgment. Paul says over in Galatians chapter 5 or chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sometimes God brings judgment to people in this earthly life. In fact, the Bible tells us that God disciplines His children that He loves. Sometimes we are disciplined in this life, both Christians as well as non-Christians. For example, let me just give you one instance. If a person lives a very promiscuous lifestyle, they could possibly contract a sexually transmitted disease. If they were, if they were doing what they should be doing, if they were trying to, to, to honor the Lord by the way they live their life, they wouldn't get a sexually transmitted disease. But because they've chosen to live that lifestyle, They face judgment. They receive just penalty for what they've done. And we could talk about that in a number of different situations in a number of different ways. If we live in disobedience to God, go back and read the Old Testament. What happened when God's people were disobedient to God? God brought judgment. When God called to them time and time again... And they refused to listen and he sent prophets and he did all that. And he finally destroyed his own people, their nation, and took them away into bondage because of their sinfulness. They experienced earthly judgment. So that's one kind of judgment that all of us can face. Second judgment that is mentioned in Scripture is the judgment that takes place for Christians. It takes place at the judgment seat of Christ. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5 verses 9 and 10 tell us. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that passage of Scripture is written towards Christians. And at the judgment seat of Christ, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, basically Paul says there, there's no other foundation that's been laid except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you build on that foundation with gold and silver and costly jewels, or you can build on that foundation wood, hay, and stubble. 
And on that day when you and I as believers in Christ stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our works are going to be tested by fire. And basically, Holy Spirit produced fruit in our life will remain. The things that you and I have tried to do in our own strength and the things that you and I have done with selfish motives, the things that we've done to bring honor and attention and glory to ourselves, they're going to burn up. They're going to burn up in fire. Now the Bible talks about some of the rewards that we'll get for those things, that fruit that's been produced in us by the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about five different crowns. I'm not going to take time to go through all that today. That's for a different sermon. But what you need to understand is that all of us as believers in Christ are going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and God is going to test our works to see if they're Holy Spirit produced works in our life or to see if we don't have any works at all or if our works are all about us and who we are. Now the good news is even if all of our works are burnt up Even though we stand empty-handed before the judgment seat of Christ, if you and I have been born again by the Spirit of God, if our our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we will be saved. In other words, we'll get in, as a good Tennessee phrase would be, by the skin of your teeth. You're just barely going to get there. But you will get there. And that's the great news. The last judgment that's mentioned, and I think primarily the one that refers to here in this particular passage of Scripture, It's what is known as in Scripture as the great white throne judgment or the last judgment. The Bible says, Jesus Himself said, uh, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice, God did not prepare hell for any human being. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice something else. That fire in hell is a prepared fire. What happens when you stack coals up, stack charcoal up? And you start catching that thing on fire. What happens? It gets really hot, doesn't it? What happens when you take a fire like that and you take one of those coals and you sit over here by itself? Cools off really quickly, doesn't it? Prepared fire is always hotter. So Jesus is going to look and He's going to say to those on His left, Depart from Me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But every believer, those on His right hand, will hear Him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, that's going to be a great day for us as believers. Those of us who have our names written in the Lamb's book of life, we will spend all eternity in a face-to-face relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, we see through a glass dimly. We, We can't see all that God has prepared for those that love Him. We can't see all of that, but we know it's coming. Because God was promised to us, we can hang our hats on that. But for those who are unbelievers, as Peter says over in 1 Peter 4, 5, every one of them will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Those who have neglected 
this great salvation that God has given, those who have neglected will face and experience judgment. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 48, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. If a person refuses to trust Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior and Lord, they will face judgment. Jesus said over in John chapter 3, verse 18, we like John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But if you go on over to John 3, 18, just two verses later, Jesus says this, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. You're in a state of not being condemned if you know Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith and trust in Him, you are not condemned. But whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the Bible talks about three different kinds of judgment, earthly judgment. Sometimes your sins will find you out in this life. God will discipline you if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, God will bring judgment. Sometimes you will face the consequences of your actions. As the prophet Hosea said, you sow the wind, but you reap the whirlwind. Sometimes that's exactly what happens. I know, for example, my dad, when he was alive, he smoked his whole life. His generation, that's what they did. And I know some of y'all dealt with that, and some of y'all don't do it anymore, and I praise the Lord for that. But he smoked his whole life, and he ended up dying of COPD and lung cancer. He experienced the fruit or the judgment of his sin. He experienced earthly judgment. His life was cut short because of the choices that he made. There's also going to be those of us here Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then last of all, there's the great white throne judgment, the last judgment when God is going to separate the saved from the lost. Every person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life will hear God say, the Lord Jesus Christ say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Those who have failed, who have neglected the God's great salvation, those who have not believed in Him and not accepted His gift, the Bible says they're already condemned, but they will just experience the fruit of their choices or their neglect, so to speak. The second question that I see in this particular passage of Scripture, how shall we escape then if we neglect what? If we neglect God's great salvation. What, what makes God's salvation so great? Well, first of all, it's great because of the way in which it was given. Listen to what Galatians 4 tells us. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem. The word redeems literally means to purchase out of slavery. We are slaves to sin. So Jesus was born under the law that He could purchase us out of slavery to sin those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. So, the way in which God's salvation is given is that God had decided long before He ever created humanity, long before Adam and Eve were ever created, God had already put a plan of salvation in place. Because He knew that we were going to sin. 
Now, does that not tell you how much God loves us? To think about that for just a minute. God loves us so much that he had a plan already figured out before he ever created the first human being. Listen to what Ephesians 1.4, this is how I know this is true. It says, For He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we may be holy and unblemished in His sight in love. The Bible very clearly, without righteousness, nobody will ever see God. God makes us that way because He's chose us in Christ. There is no other way of salvation. We are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So notice the way that salvation is given. That's what makes it so great. The fact that God saw fit to design a plan of salvation long before we were ever born. And at the very right time, the very right time in God's plan, Jesus Christ became a human being. You know why he came? Mark 10, 45, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He paid the price so that you and I don't have to pay the price for our sins. So the way in which it's given is what makes it great. Another thing that makes it great is just at the right time, God instituted His eternal plan. He sent Jesus Christ to come, to live a sinless life, to go to the cross, to pay the penalty of our sins, so that you and I might be redeemed or saved, so that you and I might have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. I like the way one song puts it. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was a lonely hill called Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. Think about that for just a minute. The infinite, holy God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was with God at the very uh, beginning of all time, loved you enough to come and to give His life for you. Has anybody else ever done that, anything like that for you? Has your brother or sister ever stood up and taken your punishment when you knew you were guilty? No, they haven't done that. They're not going to. But Jesus loved us in, even while we were yet sinners. Jesus died for the vilest sinner that's ever lived on this earth. He loves us that much. The greatness of this salvation is also seen in the way in which it was purchased. Last week we talked about how, how important it is for the shedding of blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. As the hymn writer says, what can wash away my sin? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Guys, if we neglect such a great salvation... We despise everything that Christ did at the cross. If we neglect such a great salvation, we're literally throwing just, I mean, all of our sin on Christ. We're, we're just, I don't even know how to describe it. How could we be so thoughtless to, to cast dispersion on the Savior who died for us? Chuck Templeton could tell you about the truth of this particular thing 
Chuck Templeton was a contemporary with Billy Graham. In fact, he and Billy Graham were really good friends. They were rising stars as preachers in the evangelical world back in the 50s and early, late 50s and early 60s. I know that's before some of y'all were born, but most of us remember the 50s and 60s. It's been a long time. But Chuck Templeton, most people thought Chuck Templeton was a better preacher than Billy Graham, and they thought he would make a lot more impact than Billy Graham ever did. But early in his ministry, Chuck Templeton began to doubt the reliability and the authority of the Word of God. He eventually got to the point where he walked away from the faith and rejected Jesus Christ as being God's only son and the only one that could deal with his sin problem. Several years ago, a Christian journalist hunted up Chuck Templeton. At that point in time, he was in a nursing home and he was dealing with Alzheimer's. And that Christian journalist asked him how he felt now after all these years having rejected Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He sat there and he thought about it for a moment. And this was his words. He says, I miss Jesus. And he just began to weep. He couldn't even finish the interview. He just sit there sobbing. The journalist finally had to get up and leave. He missed Jesus. Guys, what if we what can we expect if we neglect so great a salvation? The author of Hebrews reminds us in chapter 10, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of His covenant by which He was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? What, what can we expect if we trampled underfoot what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, the immense payment that He's made, to deal with our sin problem, what should we expect? Thirdly, the greatness of God's salvation is seen in what it brings. Listen to, listen to this. This is great news. The salvation of our Lord in Christ brings us, first of all, pardon for all of our sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It delivers us from the penalty and the power of sin. What's the penalty of sin? Death. That's exactly right. The penalty of sin is always death. Not just physical death, although it does include that, but we're talking about spiritual, eternal death in a place called hell. It also not only delivers us from the penalty of sin, it delivers us from the power of sin. Sin no longer has to rule over us in our, in our life as believers in Christ. For those of us who put our faith and trust in Christ, we don't have to give in to the power of temptation. We have the power of the Lord Jesus Christ living in us, and He gives us the ability to say no to sin. Now, we don't oftentimes use it, 
There's times that we really want to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season and we ignore the, the voice of God's Holy Spirit and we ignore the fact that we do not have to live under the power of sin any longer because Jesus has set us free. It also brings us into a new relationship with Jesus Christ and with God the Father. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that literally Jesus Christ has broken down the wall of petition that we built between us and God. Notice, God didn't build that wall. God did not build that wall. We built that wall when we sinned against holy God. God made us to live in a relationship with Himself. And every one of us chooses to sin and we put up a wall. But Jesus Christ has demolished the wall. He's torn it down so that you and I can have a relationship. Not just when we get to heaven. We can have a relationship with God right now. We can have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, the Bible tells us that we've been adopted into the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of a family, aren't you? Aren't you so glad you're a part of the family of God? I, I don't know how people make it nowadays when they just simply walk away from God's family and God's church and God's people. I, I don't know how they do it because my church family is just as important for me as my earthly family. Because we share spiritual uh, truth together and we walk side by side and we can love on one another and we can support one another and we can help one another as brother eddie was talking about this morning we, we can love one another we can love our neighbor as ourselves. that happens because we have been adopted into a family i like what first peter tells us too first peter one chapter verse three it tells us that we have an inheritance that is incorruptible that means it's never spoiled that means, it, he says, it's, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled. It is perfect in its holiness. God doesn't do anything halfway. God doesn't do any junk, right? God does everything the right way. And so we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away. I love what Paul, the great apostle, writes in Romans chapter 8, he says, I am absolutely convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And he goes and he lists a lot of things, both principalities and powers, things present, things to come. There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Guys, we have an inheritance that is unspoiled, that will not fade away. We have become heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What more could anybody want? And we will experience the love of God age after age after age after age because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Suppose a wealthy person is walking down the street one day and he sees this little, little dirty, snotty-nosed little kid that's so poor you can tell by looking at him, he's not eating well, he's not doing well. And suppose that person, that wealthy man, falls head over heels in love with that little boy. And after a while, that man says to him, I, I love you so much that I'm going to take you out of your poverty. I'm going to bring you into my, my home and my family and I'm going to adopt you as my son. Now imagine, if you will, for just a moment, that little boy says, 
I don't want to be adopted as your son. I'd rather live in my poverty than be your son. I'd rather live in the filth that I'm in than to be your son. What in the world would possess some little boy for making that kind of statement? Now think about that in a spiritual well-being. You have the the king of glory, the, the one who has created us, the one who loved us. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has come alongside us and he sees us in all of our filthy rags and all of our sin. And he longs to make us righteous because again, without righteousness, nobody can see God. That means nobody can spend eternity with God. That's what it's saying. And he sees us right where we are. And he says, I love you so much that I don't want to leave you in that condition. I want to bring you into my family and I want to adopt you as my son or my daughter. And I want to give you all the riches of heaven. How many people through their actions and even sometimes through their word have said, I'm not interested, leave me alone, I would rather die in my sin, I would rather enjoy the pleasures of this world than anything you have to offer me. How many people do you know that have done that with the King of Glory? How can you escape if you would neglect such a great salvation? You know why the greatest folly is to reject that salvation or neglect that salvation? You know what the greatest folly is? The reason why it's such great folly is because there's no other name given among men whereby men must be saved. Adam read that passage to us earlier. There's no other way of salvation. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good things. You can't think enough good thoughts to make yourself into a right relationship with God. And the reason why is because at the very depths of your being, being you are a sinner. And until somebody deals with your sin problem, you cannot have a relationship with the living God. You will either experience God's salvation through Jesus Christ, or you will never experience salvation at all. The only way that we can escape the coming judgment is by not neglecting the great salvation that Jesus Christ has provided for us. Guys, you're in a burning building, in a doomed world, that one of these days, God is going to deal with. Anybody, nobody can be saved apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Suppose you're in a burning building today. And somebody told you, somebody yelled out in the midst of this fire. You're sitting at your desk and somebody hollers out, fire! And you know from all the stuff that you've done, all the preparation you made, the only way of escape is the fire escape that's on the outside of the building. And suppose you continue to sit at your desk and say, well, I'm just going to think and I'm going to think to myself that this fire is going to go away before it gets to me and I'll be okay. Or I'm going to sit here and wait for somebody to come get me. I'm okay, but... But somebody's going to come get me at some point. If you continue to neglect the only way of escape, you will perish in that fire. In the same way, we're in a world that's perishing. 
Nobody can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Nobody else has the power to forgive our sins. It is by His stripes that we are healed. I plead with you today, don't neglect God's great salvation. Robin Robins, Robert Robinson came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior under the preaching of George Whitfield. He was, became a pastor and God greatly blessed him. He also wrote hymns. One day he sat down and wrote out a hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We all know that song. We sing it all the time, don't we? God greatly used him to touch a lot of people's lives, but one day... He began to neglect spiritual things, and then he began to drift. And it wasn't too long. He resigned as being a pastor, and in a search for peace, he began to travel all over the world to try to find something that would bring peace to his heart. One day on his journeys, he met a lady who was reading a book, and she said to him, What do you think of this hymn that I'm reading? And she handed him the book, and it was the song, Come Thou Fount." Of every blessing. Immediately he saw what the book was and saw what the song was. He tried to ignore her question. He rapidly handed the book back to her and tried to walk away from her, but she continued to press him on the matter. Finally, under the conviction, convicting power of the Holy Spirit, he broke down and he confessed to that lady that he was the one that had written that hymn and that he had wandered away from the Lord. And this is what the lady said to him. That kind of put the nail in the coffin. She said, but these streams of mercy are still flowing. These streams of mercy are still flowing. God loves us with an unending love. And he has poured his mercy out on her. Through her words and her encouragement, Robinson was restored to fellowship with the Lord. I like the story of the great evangelist Ari Torrey. He was out one day and somebody handed him a little card, a little bitty business-like card. Uh, on, one, on one side of the card it says, uh, what must I do to be saved? And underneath that question was this verse, Acts 16, 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He flipped the card over and the question was, what must you do to be lost? There was one word written at the bottom. Nothing. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. What do you have to do to be lost? Absolutely nothing. You're already lost. You're lost. Without Christ, you're on your way to hell. If you don't straighten that out, if you don't fix that here in this life, there's not going to be another chance. God has loved you so much that He's given you his only son, he has placed him on the cross to pay the penalty of your sins that you might be forgiven. And if you will return, if you will turn to him in repentance and faith, you can have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But how shall you escape if you neglect such a great salvation? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.